Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Keezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. I'll talk with you Albany men's basketball coach Will Brown about the initiative he and his wife Jamie are starting called Coaches vs. Cancer National Championship. And then I'll speak with former Clarkson hockey play-by-play announcer Bob Offeld on an interesting incident that took place 20 years ago at the Frozen Four in Providence. Well, speaking of the Frozen Four, this would have been the week for the NCAA hockey tournament at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. There could have been a lot of great storylines had they played out like if Cornell could win its first national title in 50 years, or if Minnesota Duluth could have become the first team to win three straight national titles since Michigan did it from 1951 to 1953. But the coronavirus pandemic stopped everything in its tracks. But we can still play the what-if game. Joining me now is one of the great college hockey uh, analysts uh, in the country, and he's also the winner of the National Collegiate Hockey Conference's Media Award, and he's been the ESPN studio analyst during the NCAA hockey tournament. Here's Dave Starman. Dave, uh, welcome back, and great to talk to you again. How are you doing, old friend? I'm doing fine. I'm trying to stay safe. How about you? Yeah, about the same. I mean, we're sort of in we're sort of in the middle of this whole pandemic thing down here on Long Island, and. But uh, we're we're doing what everybody says to do to be smart. You know, we're we're staying inside for the most part and going outside for exercise. We're socially distancing, and it's uh, you know the great part about what we got going on. Shreen and I, you know, as, as you know, both are on our crew at CBS, so we spend a little time talking hockey each day, and it feels like we're working. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm at home, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually in the office a little earlier these days. We have an earlier deadline, but I'm home. My son keeps, uh, you know, my, he's a junior in college right now. He keeps insisting, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. <laughs> to the point where my hands are so dry, I can't even wash them anymore. <laughs> so on that note, somebody told me a great story. Uh, they, they said that you, know, you should be washing your hands, and to be really safe, you should wash your hands to the length of your favorite song to make sure that they're clean enough. Uh, and I keep thinking to myself, my favorite band is The Grateful Dead, but the way some of their songs go, I could rub out my fingerprints, you know, in a week. You'd be, yeah, you'd be gone for at least a, at least two weeks, possibly. I, mean, I could go with a, a day, in, I'd go with a day in life with the Beatles or uh, the Beatles, uh, the, the Sun King melody on, uh, on uh, Abbey Road. So I could, I could probably nice. do the same same point as you. So, but let's talk some college hockey. And it's, I, mean, I know it was the right move, but it's still. Disappointing to see how this season ended the way it did, Dave. I would agree, and I I think that when you look at the disappointment of all of this, you can look at the disappointment for a number of different ways. First of all, you take a look at the student athletes and the coaches and the support staffs that put so much of it into it, the SIDs and you know just the just the programs themselves, and it, it starts way back in really at the end of the season. And players will take a little time off, and then it's a matter of getting back into it to start. You know, re-maintaining some basic conditioning, and then the off-ice workouts start. And you know, sometimes a freshman come into campus early to work out with the veterans to learn the pace. And there are a lot of teams that, from the year before, feel like they just got close, but not close enough. And that feeling of disappointment stays there, so that helps burn them through the summer and get them ready for September and October. So you've got to feel for the competitors, but you also feel for the fans who really enjoy watching these games and really enjoy watching these kids compete because. As we all know in college hockey, every game is a playoff game, starting from game one. And 
and and so the fans really enjoy it, and the passion of the, the college hockey fans is unbelievable. And then I feel bad for you know folks like us who not only enjoy watching the games, but enjoy bringing them to the fans and being that conduit to to bring out the great stories and bring out the great plays and and, and to help entertain as those games are going on. And you know, we always say in the analyst business, we're here to analyze, inform, and entertain, and 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 stay out of the way of the really good games and. And that's what you hope for. You hope to go in every game where <laughs> kind of your part's the minimal, but it's it's, it's really just a, it's like a big void, especially this weekend we head into what would have been a frozen four. Yeah, and personally for me, I mean, I would have helped our uh, college hockey beat writer Mike Vigano with covering the East Regional here at the Times Union Center, so I was excited to do that. I mean, my, for my first cover, covering college hockey since I covered the uh, Union-North Dakota game New Year's Eve in, tw- in 2016. So I was really excited about it and maybe, maybe t- do some podcasts from down from down there and just you know, have that you know, just ripped out from you. It's you, know, you knew it was coming, but still, like I said, it's it was it was disappointing. And I mean, I, I don't know what team would have been in, in what ECAC team would have been. Would Clarkson have been in Albany? Would Cornell have been in Albany? But it, it, I think it was it would have been an exciting uh, regional to see what would happen and what teams would have uh, arrived here. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about the Albany regional. It was just we were talking about. A player that we had gotten signed when I was in Toronto, and it came out of the Albany Regional in 2010. To me, that might have been one of the most unique regionals I'd ever been to because that was the year where RIT pulled off the big upset where they rode Jared DeMichael for two games over UNH in Denver and and wound up going to the Frozen Four, ironically in Detroit. And you know that was the year where I was there to for, I was scouting for Toronto. I was there to watch Ben Scrivens of Cornell. And he got lit up against UNH, and yeah. it might have been the worst game he'd played all year. And I, I'll never forget, right after that game, my boss with the Leafs calling me and saying, you sure you want to sign this guy? You know, <laughs> just kind of as a joke. And I said, yeah, I'll put my reputation on this one. I said, if that's the worst game he's played, uh, we'll take him. And, and it all worked out okay. Every time I think of the Albany Regionals, I, I will always think of that unbelievable run that RIT pulled off, getting themselves to Detroit. And their first frozen four. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you know, they beat Denver in the first game, and then uh, take out New Hampshire, and uh, just the excitement that they brought to the to the fans there. I mean, everybody was on on their side, and I, I, I that was a great uh, memory for me. And of course, memory for me was even 20 years ago, uh, and when the birth of Mr. Overtime came out uh, with the BU St. Lawrence four overtime game. There's a great story in that game, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. I remember Jack Parker telling me this, and I think that was the game where he said to me that one of his players got hurt sometime during the second period, went back into the dressing room and got undressed, and by the beginning of the second or the third overtime, when everybody's starting to get tired, he literally went back, got redressed, got back in the game, and actually played regular shifts, <laughs> you know, just just because they're running out of bodies. Yeah. And you're right, that, that might go down as one of the all-time classics. Yeah, I remember my lead, the game started at lunchtime and ended at dinner, and uh, it, was, it was 12 o'clock, started at 6 o'clock, and... Uh, of course, Maine and Michigan were waiting so long to play that uh, other uh, East Regional game. But that, that, was, I mean, that was a lot of memories from that. But let's take a look at this year, the, the what-ifs. I mean, I, mean I, I think Cornell could have gotten to the, uh, the Frozen Four. I mean, I, I mean I, maybe Cornell, North Dakota. I mean, they sort of flip-flopped that number one ranking throughout the year. So, I mean, I, I think that could have been a fun championship game if they got that far. It could have been because you're talking about two teams – that have similar philosophies but different styles. And I think it would have been a really interesting matchup. I love Mike Schaefer. I love the way he coaches. I mean, to me, he's a guy that, that leads with passion, but he's a good hockey man, too. And Brad Berry is just continues to impress me on a year-to-year basis. And 
as well as the staff. And when I look at those two teams and why I say they're similar, they're both teams where their work ethic will never be unquestioned. If they lose, it's not because they got outworked. If they lose, it's not because they were lazy. If they lose, it's just because they lost. And it means the other team just played better or got the more timely goal. That, to me, is, is one of the great hallmarks of both North Dakota and Cornell. And Bradbury talked a lot this year about how we've worked as hard this year as we've worked the last two years. We're going to make the national tournament. We just scored more. And I think for Cornell, that was somewhat similar. Where you know, Not only did they get uh, great defensive support like they always do, but they were able to score some goals. Morgan Barrett obviously had that great year for them, and, and they managed to put up some big wins. And, and when I say they're similar, like I said, they're those kinds of teams that will, you know, they can kick the hell out of you for 60 minutes in, in a really smart, physical, aggressive, passionate way. And you surround all that work ethic with some guys that can finish, and you've got a very unique dynamic. I thought North Dakota might have been a little deeper than Cornell was this particular season, but I really think that you know that's one of those games where you know the last mistake could, could lose you the whole ball of wax. Duluth, I mentioned at the open here, um, they were going for th- you know they would put in there they could have gone for a third straight national championship. Something hasn't been done in a long time. Do you think they had the uh, the players to do it? No question. They and it's not just that they had the players to do it; they had the team to do it. That to me was more important than than the individuals. Minnesota Duluth for a couple of years now has been some of its parts, and they, they've had good parts though. I mean, when you take a look at that first of the national championships, they won that national title with five, I think, five freshman defensemen and one sophomore on their back end. Now, a couple of those freshman defensemen were older defensemen, which I think is a credit to them in terms of their recruiting, but you know, they had a lot of inexperience with that back end and they were carried up front by a couple of really clutch players. And Joey Anderson had a had a big year that year and, and you, you take a look at a guy like Carson Coleman who who always managed to find big goals and big games and, but but that was a year where where they were some of their parts. And then the following year I think they wrote a lot of Moxie, great leadership from Parker McKay and, and between Swaney and Richards. I mean they, they just had a team that, that really could do a lot of different things, plus powered by that Real good back end with guys like Mikey Anderson, Scott Brunovich, and Dylan Samberg, who, who've all signed NHL contracts. So I, I think that, and you can't leave out Hunter Shepard. That, that goes without saying. But to me, that was a, that was a sum of its parts team. And to me, the best compliment you could give that team was what many coaches and many players have said playing UMD over the last year or two. And that is, you get them in a nothing nothing game, even if they're on the road or at home, doesn't matter. But if they're in a nothing nothing game late in the second period, they look like they are so comfortable. And they're enjoying it. And that, you know, teams have said to me, it's a little intimidating that, you know, you're scrapping and searching and trying to find that all-important first goal. And North Dakota looks, or Minnesota Duluth looks like they're not breaking a sweat at 0-0. They are just fine waiting it out to see who gets the first goal later on in the game. And they have no doubt that they would get it. That, to me, is why I think Minnesota Duluth was really the X factor going into the playoffs. Because no matter what happened, that was a team that was going to be calm, cool, and composed till the end. And you didn't you would have to go out and beat them as opposed to them doing something where they beat themselves. And they were off. They got off to a slow start this season, but you know, gradually they you know, came on and came on, and you know, they were fourth in the pairwise. And I, I mean, I, I would have, you know, Scotty Sandler, I think, is already going to be a Hall of Famer for USA Hockey. That would, If he won it again this year, I think that would just like induct him right away. I think he's there no matter what. He, he's done a remarkable job there. Remember that. You know, Minnesota Duluth, you know, unlike the University of Minnesota, which, you know, might be the top destination for a lot of the Minnesota-born players, especially the ones out of the Twin Cities, Minnesota Duluth has had to be a little more creative in their recruiting, but if you look at their recruiting, 
they are predominantly a Minnesota team. They have figured out how to recruit their home state and find some of the high-end kids in their home state and keep those kids for three to four years. And that, to me, has been the magic formula for UMB, outside of the fact that they are really well-coached. They've had terrific assistance. Jason Herter is a rock star when it comes to developing defensemen, and, and that team has, has never had to worry about its back end. So I, I think when you put that combination together, you know, Sandy put together a great staff, and, and, and he has been the, the benefit of it. But the, Brett Larson has said to me on a number of occasions, and Brett was the longtime assistant there at Duluth, now the head of St. Cloud State. Uh, Brett has said to me a million times, you know, as games get bigger, Sandy gets calmer. And I think that that's a major factor why UND has been so good and why a lot of his players are going to find success later on because they think about the next shift, not the last shift. And that, to me, is the hallmark of a, of a true pro. I can always say I cover Scott Sandlin when he played defense for the Hershey Bears back in the late 80s. <laughs> you know, I remember Sandy back in, the, back in that era, some of those good old Hershey-Baltimore games. Yeah. And, you know, Sandy, Sandy coaches in a lot of ways the way he played. He, he, he coaches aggressively, but not over the top. He was a physical, good offensive player. He had some muscle. I mean, I, I like the way Sandy was as a player, and he's taken a lot of that demeanor and turned into being a really good head coach. But he's another guy that is constantly looking for the next thing. He, he, he'll he he'll kind of lull you to sleep to make you think he's just kind of one of the good old guys and you know, he just kind of does things that, that were there and you know that he's not cutting edge, but he's more cutting edge than he gives himself credit for. And like I said, he if he can't do it himself, he hires people that can, which is a great mark of comfort. But he's also one of those guys that he is always looking for what the next thing is that he can bring to his team and to his players to make them better. One team that uh, seems to fly under the radar here was ranked second in the pairwise, and I don't know how a 31-win team can, you know, go fly on the radar. Minnesota State, uh, I mean, that's a team that really, I mean, you don't hear much about them, but 31 wins, not too bad. Uh, it's unfortunate because they, they get 31 wins in a market where the Gophers are bigger, where the back-to-back national champs are, and where a team that has been number one in the country for basically the last three years also resides, and that's University of Minnesota, Minnesota Duluth, and then St. Cloud State. And that's that's kind of where, where they ran into it to drawing a lot of the attention. Plus, you know, unfortunately, the WCHA, I don't think, garners as much attention as, as some of the other leagues do, especially when you've got the Big Ten and the NCHC that are you know flowing through your state. But I, I don't think you can take anything away from Minnesota State. Well, Mike Hastings has done there since he's gotten there. It's nothing short of remarkable. And what the fans around the country don't see is just what he did to his own building. Like, he walked in there. And he took a look at their home arena, which is a nice building to play in. And he has made it a top-notch facility. Their workout areas are great. Their locker room areas are great. The coaches' locker rooms and technical rooms and everything you need, the, the, the players' lounges, everything you need to build a top-flight NCAA Division One hockey program that players want to come and play in has happened in Minnesota State. So aside from, from Hasty and his staff being really good at what they do, they have done a great job with that building, and when they walk a player through that building as a potential home for four years, I don't think there are a lot of players that are going to look around that place and say, wow, I don't want to be here. I mean, it, it is really impressive what they have done underneath the stands in that building to make it a great first-class facility. Who do you think the Frozen Four teams would have been? Oh, God. I, I, you know, I'm really bad at this. The only time I ever got a prediction right was when I said the Union was going to win the national title. And... <laughs> My record of prediction. Yeah, I should have quit. I was ahead, exactly. But I mean, I, I, let's put it this way: I, I think you know, my only, my only concern with North Dakota would have been that only their senior class had played under the big bright lights of the national tournament. 
But I'll tell you this. The NCHC Frozen Faceoff, to me, is as hard a tournament to win as the Frozen Four is. And, and people are going to say, oh, you're an NCHC homer and you're showing for the conference. No, I'm not, because generally you've got two number one seeds that are in that tournament just to start with, and you probably have a two that's in there also. I mean, that's a good tournament to win. And North Dakota has been in that tournament uh, for the most part every year with the exception, I think, of one. So, I mean, their kids have gotten some big-time experience playing in the NCHC Frozen Faceoff, and those are pretty bright lights, and that's a pretty packed building. And they're playing in front of North Dakota's fan base, which is as passionate as Alabama football or the Montreal Canadiens in the NHL. So I think that despite the fact that maybe their freshman and sophomore class had never been to the NCAA tournament, and that was a little bit of a concern, on the other side of it, they've played as many big games as teams that have been to the NCAA tournament. So I think North Dakota probably would have got there. I do think Minnesota Duluth would have figured out a way to get there, just based on what we've talked about before. I do think Cornell was built to get themselves there. You know, that's a pretty good team. So. Who would be your fourth team? Now you're talking about a couple of different options. Can you throw Minnesota State in there? Sure. Can you throw Penn State in there? Absolutely. Could have been Denver. I mean, Denver was, to me, just missing some grit, but they were really skilled and they had a ton of speed. And I think that could have been a factor. But here's the kicker. When the NCAA regionals play, and I get, I was always get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. When you play the NCAA regionals, the one thing you risk is bad ice. Because... Team, you know, the building has to get redone a little bit. The ice has to get redone. Logos have to get taken out. New logos have to get put in. Sometimes the ice doesn't get to cure. And the ice has never been great in the regionals. So that sometimes favors the teams that are more of the pluggers, the grinders, the, the come at you in waves type of thing, as opposed to the high-skill, high-speed teams. Because on bad ice, you, know, you look at a team like AIC, they just, they just figured out a way to slow down St. Cloud State last year in what was you know, a mush of a surface in Fargo. So who's that team flying under the radar that's just really good, really disciplined, plays well defensively, keeps it simple, waits for a mistake, and capitalize? Who's your four seed or your three seed that you're not expecting to get into this thing that figures out a way to take advantage of the elements that they're playing in to maybe capitalize on a number one seed that's nervous and jump, much like Air Force, you know, who's that team that can pick off a bigger seed and get themselves in the frozen four? I'm not sure, but let's make the fourth team one of them. Okay. Um, Obi Baker will be presented Friday night uh, to the junior dominated uh, Hobie Hattrick, uh, North Dakota forward Jordan Kawaguchi, Minnesota Duluth junior, uh, defenseman Scott Perunovich, and Maine goaltender Jeremy Swayman. How do you foresee this? This was, uh, I was on that, I am a non voting member of the committee this year. It's so it'll be my seventh year uh, as part of that group. And I thought this year's Hobie Baker Selection Committee conference call to discuss all 10 candidates was the best call that we have ever had. I mean, there was great participation from the scouts. There was great participation from the media. Uh, there was good participation from some of the off-ice officials and supervisors in terms of attesting to the character of the kids on the ice. I mean, this was, this was one of those calls where everybody was really involved. And I, I thought that the conversation was dominated by five players. Three of them wound up in the Hobie hat trick. And... When, you, when I crunch the numbers, I've, I've got a formula that every year seems to get this thing right in terms of weighted formulas and, and different things that I use as criteria. The only year that I got it wrong, actually, is the year Matty Gilroy won it. And this year, my formula, minus the playoffs and minus the regionals, had Perunovich. And one of the reasons was, is A, as a defenseman, his point numbers were, were pretty impressive. B, the point numbers that he put up in that conference, I think, factor in a little bit more sometimes than 
than elsewhere. It is hard to get 40 points in the NCHC. I mean, you're playing against a lot of players that are going to play at the next level in that conference. So night in and night out, that's kind of a battle. And I, I just think that away from the puck, the thing that Perunovich never gets talked about with him is how well he can play defense. I mean, this is a guy who, this plus minus, I think he was plus 18 or plus 19, and half of his points came on the power play. So think about that for a second. You don't get a plus for a power play point, and he had at least 20 or 21 points at a power play out of 40, but he was still a plus 18, meaning that his team generated a lot of offense and scored a lot of goals when he was on the ice. And that all starts with how well UMD defended and how well he defended and got plays started. Well, Dave, I appreciate you a few minutes. And, uh, by the way, congratulations on winning the uh, media award. I didn't get a chance to do that at the top of the year. But uh, well earned. And you and Ben Holden do, do, do uh, such a great job on uh, the NCHA, uh, NCHC coverage on uh, CBS Sports Network. Uh, I always enjoy talking to you, my friend. And uh, please stay safe with you and the family. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me on. Shots to you. We'll talk again. Thanks, That's buddy. good. That's Dave Starman. Up next, I'll talk with you Albany men's basketball coach, Will Brown. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. April is Subscriber Appreciation Month at the Daily Gazette. Pay for one year of your subscription and receive one month free. Pay for six months of your subscription and receive two weeks free. Call today to take advantage of this limited time offer. Call 518-395-3060. Or you can visit us online at dailygazette.com slash payment. Be sure to mention the promo code APPRECIATE. Back on the Party Shots podcast, and now my guest is Will Brown, the University at Albany men's basketball coach. Uh, Will, thanks for joining us. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, this initiative you're starting, the Coaches versus Cancer National Championship. Uh, talk a little bit about that. What's the uh, purpose behind this? Well, thanks for having me. Um, my wife, uh, Jamie, and I were on a national Coaches versus Cancer council call um, a few days ago. And we listened to the CEO of the American Cancer Society, Gary Reedy, uh, talk about how many cancer patients nationwide are struggling uh, with, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And, and listen, there's so many people negatively impacted by uh, COVID-19. Um, but Jamie and I have been involved in the fight against cancer for a very long time. And when we got off that call and we listened to Gary Reedy say how, how many cancer patients have lost their jobs, they've lost their health insurance, they don't have money to pay for treatments, and how so many of them won't even leave their homes because they're worried about compromising their immune system. So when we got off the call, Jamie and I looked at each other and um, Jamie said, we have to do something. And I said... I agree with you. And so uh, we thought of a few things, and then we contacted uh, Lizzie Hunter uh, at the American Cancer Society, who is here locally in the Albany area. And we wanted to do something uh, knowing that there was going to be no Final Four, no national title game. And we came up with the idea of the national championship game is going to be all of us nationwide, 
against cancer. And we're going to beat cancer, we're going to dominate cancer, and all of us are going to be national champions. So this isn't a local initiative. Uh, as much as we want everybody locally to jump on board, this is a national initiative. And Jamie and I released it on Friday just to get some people talking about it, get it going on social media. And then this week, um, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, it's going to get a lot of momentum. It's going national with uh, the NABC, the National Association of Basketball uh, Coaches. It's Coaches vs. Cancer, American Cancer Society, national. Everybody's running with it this week. There's, um, you know, Lon Kruger, the head coach in Oklahoma, is putting a video together. He's the president of, of the Coaches Council, and he's encouraging coaches nationwide uh, to put videos together, encouraging coaches, fans, communities nationwide to just rally in the fight against cancer, to continue to try to raise awareness and raise money. Cancer doesn't rest. Cancer doesn't take days off. And cancer has impacted so many of us, whether it's directly family members, co-workers, friends, people that you know. It's impacted so many. So we're just trying to come together during this very difficult time, during the COVID-19 pandemic, and just raise as much money as we can in the fight against cancer. Yeah, it just seems like this is an extension of what you do in the fall with the uh, coaches versus cancer basketball. Is, they, is that an accurate statement? Well, with the coaches versus cancer basketball, which we've done for the last 12-plus years and raised over $2 million, that is a Albany community event. Uh, we rally the local community together in the fight against cancer. Uh, we honor one or two local people who have done really good things in the fight against cancer. Now, we do have, always have one national honoree, but it's a local event where the University at Albany and Siena College come together. We have great support from uh, the athletic directors and the presidents of both institutions. Uh, but again, it, it, it's a local event, and it just continues to get bigger each year and we continue to raise awareness and money in the Albany area. This is a national event where we're going coast to coast and trying. It's spearheaded by basketball. You know, Jamie and I are spearheading this initiative, and we're, we, we uh, have asked college basketball coaches nationwide to do the same. But again, we're hoping that everybody in the Albany community jumps on board and everybody throughout the country. Um, these are difficult times, and what I want people to understand is I don't want anybody to be scared by the donation that Jamie and I made of, of $10,000. We're confident moving forward that there's going to be a couple of donations larger than that coming in, but every donation matters, $5, $10, $20. We just want people to join our team and join us in the fight against cancer. Uh, so no donation is too small, uh, $5, a dollar. We just want everybody that's listening to this right now to join our team, be a part of this special team that's making a, making a difference in the fight against cancer. Yeah. Uh, people can go to uh, the website charity.gofundme.com 
slash zero uh, slash o not uh, slash en slash campaign slash cvc final four. Um, well, Ken, I'm even making it easier for people. If you go to crowdrise.com backslash CVC Final Four, that's probably the easiest way. It's easier to remember. It's crowdrise.com backslash CVC Final Four. Just make sure you spell out four, F-O-U-R. It's not the number four. Um, so I think that crowdrise.com backslash CBC Final Four is a little bit easier for people. Um, and I, I appreciate uh, you having me on and, and getting the word out there. It means a lot. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Will. Let me ask you a couple questions, basketball-related questions here. I mean, how, how has this uh, COVID-19 affected recruiting for you? Uh, obviously, everything's shut down right now. How, how, how has it been affecting you? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's, a, it's a new challenge for all of us uh, college basketball coaches. There's a recruiting ban basically in place until June 1. That's as of now. Um, that could get pushed back. We're not allowed to have any in-person, face-to-face contact with recruits. Cannot have any recruits visit campus. No uh, evaluations. So basically, the way we're recruiting right now is we're calling kids, texting, email, um, video conferences. Uh, obviously, I'm not a big technolo- technology guy, so, but we've been doing Zoom video conference calls with recruits and their families. Uh, just have to be creative right now. Um, there's over seven. There's about 700 transfers right now in Division One basketball in the NCAA transfer portal. So I think what that tells you is that coaches are making mistakes with evaluations. I think student-athletes have made mistakes uh, with choosing schools, and that's with being able to evaluate, with being able to visit schools. So now this is a really a challenge for us. Um, you know, we're probably over-evaluating kids on video right now, calling too many people uh, about kids because we're so worried about making mistakes when in all reality, there's an awful lot of mistakes that have been made nationwide when it comes to recruiting. And, you know, so what we're trying to do right now is get to know kids as much as we can. Um, you know, it, it's hard. Um you know, but we're just trying to do our best, uh, my assistants, uh, you know, and, and myself, just uh, staying in constant contact with recruits, their coaches, um, you know, watching an awful lot of, uh, you know, video. And, you know, like I said, uh, you know, each year for the last few years, the transfer rate is going through the roof for a variety of reasons. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure this is going to make it any better. Uh, but let's face it, uh, these are crazy and challenging times right now. COVID-19 uh, pandemic, you know, hopefully we can find a cure and we can get back to normalcy uh, in the near future. You know, but more importantly, we just hope that everybody's healthy and safe out there. And, you know, we're trying to make the best of the situation. Well, speaking of being safe, one of your players, Cam Healy, is, uh, was quarantined on a boat in Australia. Not a bad place to be quarantined, huh? No, no. Uh, it's, that, that's a crazy story. Uh, you know, uh, Cameron's dad, uh, 
uh, Mike Healy had taken a job in New Zealand. And so when he took that job, they rented their home in Australia. Well, Mike decided to leave his job in New Zealand. So they came back during this uh, crazy time to Australia and they had rented their house out. So they're staying uh, on a boat. Uh, you know, they have a 14 day quarantine in Australia. That's almost over for Cameron and his family. Um, you know, and we do a, uh, a video conference call with each player every Tuesday. So it was, it was pretty interesting doing our call with Cameron while he was on a boat. The reception uh, wasn't great, and we lost him a few times during, during each call. But, um, you know, like I said, they're making the most of the situation right now. I know they're anxious to get off that boat. They've got uh, three or four more days left, uh, you know. So uh, Cameron's uh, been able to get off the boat jump into a kayak to get some exercise, but then get right back on the boat. So it's be- definitely been interesting for sure. How about the rest of your players? I mean, how are they able to stay in shape, work out? Because obviously the gyms are closed. How have they been able to try to at least you know, stay in some kind of shape? Yeah, we've, been, we've tried to be creative with that. Some of our guys have baskets at their house. Some don't. Some have weights at their house. You know, some don't. Uh, so what we've done is uh, our strength and conditioning, uh, you know, coaches have sent programs to our guys to work on, but uh, also uh, our strength and conditioning people on social media have uh, done a good job every day of putting a bunch of different exercises guys can do while they're at home. Uh, you know, but they've got to be creative. And then basketball-wise, you know, uh, our guys know what we need them to do. And, uh, you know, from our end, we're just trying to give them some ideas and suggestions. Uh, if they don't have a basket uh, at home, there's a lot of ball handling drills, uh, you know, they can do. Um, they have speed and agility workouts they can do on their property. Uh, it's just a matter of staying disciplined, not waiting for this uh, COVID-19 pandemic to disappear because you could be waiting for a very long time. And, you know, uh, so uh, I told our guys, um, you know, we got to stay on top of this. And if they have questions, ask. Uh, but, you know, like Dan Healy just going out and contacting every day, you know, that's one of the best things that he can do right now based on his situation. Um, so, uh, you know, like Brent Hank, who's back in Australia, his uh, sister plays at Clemson. She's a really good player. So they're doing, you know, uh, cardio work together and basketball workouts together. Uh, Adam Luca back in Australia, he said that, uh, you know, his sister's a workout fanatic. So they're doing workouts together each day. It's just about uh, being disciplined and being creative and just getting it done. Well, well, I appreciate you coming on in a few minutes uh, to talk about the uh, initiative you started with uh, your wife and, uh, uh, hopefully, hopefully, a lot of people will donate, and then, uh, you, we can beat cancer. Well, thanks for having me on. We, I appreciate your efforts and, and spreading the word. It means a lot to me and, and, and Jamie, and keep up the great work, and more importantly, stay uh, healthy and stay during this difficult time. Thank you, Will. Same to you and your family. Thanks for coming on the uh, podcast. I appreciate it. Thank All you. Right, that's Will Brown coming up. I'll speak with former Clarkson radio and hockey announcer Bob Offell. We're going to look back at a very interesting incident 20 years ago at the Frozen Forum Providence. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox.
I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. I'm calling on all New Yorkers to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus. Everyone, even young people and those who feel well, stay home. If you must go outside, stay six feet from others. This will ensure everyone who needs hospital care can get it. This virus spreads even without symptoms. Stay home and stay safe. Be a part now so we can all be together later. Stay informed at health.ny.gov slash coronavirus. Back on the Parting Shots podcast, and 20 years ago last weekend, the Frozen Four was taking place in Providence, Rhode Island at the, I don't know if it was called the Dunkin' Donuts Center back there, it was probably called the Providence Civic Arena, or some uh, generic name, but uh, it was a good Frozen Four, St. Lawrence got there, uh, ended up losing to eventual champion North Dakota, which beat Boston College in in the championship game, but my memory of the of that Frozen Four had nothing really to do with the games, but what happened the Friday night of the all on the Frozen Four, and the t- chat with me about that is the uh, former play-by-play voice of the Clarkson uh, Golden Knights, who is there with me and uh, still has the uh, receipt from the uh, bill. Uh, it's Bob Offal. Bob, uh, welcome to the podcast. How are you, my friend? Are you staying safe? Yes, we are, Kenny. How you doing? Of course, you know isolation isn't too hard up here, uh, as you well know. <laughs> 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 we tend to be isolated anyway in our country, but. Uh, Things are good. Things are good. Just, um, I work at Clarkson now full-time. We're all working from home. And, uh, you know, keeping the kids going and staying safe. I hope everybody is as well. Yeah. Well, I, I'll start the story here. Cause I, it was the Friday of the uh, Frozen Four. They, they had the Hobie Baker presentation. And at that time, we didn't know. I mean, I think Mike Motto for Boston College won it. But Joel Lang, was the RPI goaltender, was in the running. And I was, and that was an interest of me because... I mean, yeah, I thought he had a great shot of winning the uh, the Hobie Baker, and then we're trying to find out the voting total, and then we get one of these uh, members saying, uh, "Now we're not going to tell you what the voting total was." So I was like, and I was the that was one of the three years I was on the uh, committee uh, to vote, so I was kind of upset by that. But uh, I think that's what ended up you know, a couple of years down the road leading to the, hat, the Hobie hat trick. Well, that's another story for another time. But of course, uh, next year was my final year, and I've never been asked back since. So maybe they don't like me or anything at the Hobie Baker committee, but. Uh, I was downstairs. I was down in the um, in the arena working on the story for, on that, and you and I were planning to go maybe go see a Pawtucket uh, Red Sox game that night. Yeah, we we were. We were thinking, you know, we'll go watch the Red Sox up in Pawtucket. I had a car, and you know, the, the longer you had to wait for your um, story to come out, and then we, were, of course, this is kind of. The internet existed, but no one had it. It wasn't ubiquitous. You had to be at your computer at the time. So as I was waiting and looking around, looking around, we started to we realize that it's now like, you know, almost 7 o'clock. And because it was early in the year, um, the Red Sox, Paul Puckett, began the game at 6. So we decided, well, by the time we get up there, we have to the game. Let's, let's make another plan. So that's kind of where, where things derailed from there. Yeah. <laughs> well, we went to we'll go get something to eat at the hotel bar, and then um, we, so I took my stuff back to where I was staying, and uh, we ended up going there, and then everything got sort of crazy after that because uh, other other friends of ours like Jason Moy, Adam Woden, uh, Kurt Stutt, uh, Michelle Arnold, um, a lot of the RP, yeah, some of the RPI people were coming in, and uh, some of the uh, 
uh, USCHO people were coming in. So we all ended up at this one table. And we started ordering drinks and, uh, and we were having a good time and then ate some dinner. And then the band came in. The name of the band? Match. We are Match. That's the name of the band. They were like a, a disco fusion band. And, and to give you your mind's eye, the lead singer was a passing cousin for Tony Orlando. <laughs> only, with a, only with a bad toupee. <laughs> yeah. But, but he had a following. Like there was, you know, a, like 30, 40 not just groupies, but fans came in and were kind of like, and then more college hockey people started sticking around. If you remember, Ken, we had the, the, the in the bars now, this, this, this establishment's now closed, and we're probably one of the reasons why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they had like, it was like a, it was like a, uh, a theme, and it was a, uh, a nautical theme, like uh, rowing and sculling and stuff like that. I can't remember the name of the place now, but so they had the main square bar. We were like in a back corner um, where we had settled to eat. And then uh, I remember uh, uh, Tim Danahee from collegehockeystats.net was, was with us as well. She was my roommate that weekend. Tim was. He and I went down together. Um, I was working for NCAA Radio, and Tim was a big fan of St. Lawrence, and still is. And, uh, you know, it just, it, uh, it, it, it was a good time. I remember, I remember, Buying a tequila shop or just sour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The late great Wisconsin uh, men's hockey coach. Uh, it was the, the the names that came through our bill that night are legendary. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're still having a good time. Then we you know, we got we're dancing and all that stuff, and you know you know still having some drinks and. Uh, and then it's getting toward the end of the night, and next thing you know, it's 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 last call. So I guess we all go to our last call, and then the bill arrives. Yeah, well, yeah, because I had said, I remember, like, I had the credit card. I was like, well, put it on my card, and I know you guys should just pay me back when we're done. And, you know, I went to pay the bill, and, and you know, I, I wasn't shy about how much I imbibed that evening, you know. <laughs> Pretty good. We were young back then. <laughs> yeah, 20 years ago. I feel pretty good. So I, I, I got the bill and I went to the bartender. And mind you, we were like pretty much the only table being served by this one bar. Mm. You know, people. So he couldn't miss us. It was the same guy all night. And, and I got the bill and I looked at the guy and I said, This isn't ours. And he goes, Excuse me? And I'm like, This isn't our bill. And he looks at the bill and goes back to the bar, and then he comes back to me and he goes, well, I'm sorry, sir, this is the only one I have open. <laughs> now, what you're thinking to yourself is Bob's pulling a fast one on the guy, when actually the exact opposite is true. Yeah. We, were, we were being honest despite our... <laughs> I was being, yeah, I had a lot of truth use in me, and uh, I was being very honest, because I had said, we drink way more than this <laughs> because it's the only one I have open. And we and we had plenty so, of food there too. I mean, everybody's ate, so it's like it had to be. Oh yeah, yeah. three four hundred dollars at least. Yeah, we were, at least yeah. Yeah, because it was a five or six hour fest. So the entire evening cost 
Um, $18.50. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember you, you, you coming back to the table and saying, if, and you say this can't be our bill. And it's like, yeah, if, it's, if they say it's a bill, it's pay it. Get the hell, get the hell out of here. <laughs> and, and, and you guys wouldn't leave. And I'm like, no, we really have to go now. <laughs> like, just slam your drink. Just get out of here. I'll explain in the room. And still, and, uh, finally, I showed everybody the bill in the elevator. <laughs> we were all high-fiving each other in the elevator on the way up to the USCHO room. Oh, man. <laughs> That was just, that, that was incredible. Just, uh, I think we left a, a good amount of tip, everybody that helped out with the tip. But, uh. I, I totally agree with a healthy tip. What was funny was, and, and now that I think about it, you know, given our current times with uh, one in our party, I can't remember who it was, was drinking Corona that night. <laughs> and so this was a Friday night, and then, of course, the North Dakota plays BC in the championship game on Saturday, we went back to the same bar, and somebody ordered a Corona, and the bartender goes, yeah, we're out. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I kind of can figure why. Because <laughs> 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 you didn't account for the case that went to our table last night. <laughs> I just, it's amazing to me. I'm just wondering if somebody got our bill, and... I, I just, I just, I, I don't know how that happened. And I, I went, I was, I, I was back there in 2013 for the uh, East Regional when Union was down there, and I specifically walked to where that bar was. And as you mentioned, it's it's no longer there. I mean, I took a picture and posted it on social media back then. It's just, it's it should be there should be a like a, a plaque there saying we killed this bar. <laughs> I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that story with people. Two Sam Adams and a rum and coke. That's what. The, <laughs> Yeah, some, all I can think of is, you know, the movie Fletch when he puts on the Underhills tab? Yeah. Like, and, and for those of you that have been in Providence, you know, we weren't on Federal Hill, but near it. There's some, you know, some gentlemen and folks that, you know, tend to have large bar tabs. I can't imagine that they paid it for us. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But that was a that was a memorable night. I mean, I, I still laugh and smile about that to this day. Every time it comes to the Frozen Four, because I just think about that. I still have my, like my shirt. I that's one the shirt they gave us uh, the media shirt. I still have that sitting in my closet. I, I wear it once in a while. Twenty years old, still survives. My wife wants me to throw it out, but I'm not throwing it. I might end up hanging it to rafters and retiring it. You actually should. It'd be great in your man cave. <laughs> And, and, and I'm not going to say where it is, but somewhere in Canton is the banner that adorned the entrance to uh, yes. uh, to the hotel. We took a picture of that the, 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 the next Saturday night after the you know in one of the uh, USCHO. Remember that we we're all standing behind it and having a good time. <laughs> yeah, that was. You know, it's funny, and that. To me, it's what makes what's always made college hockey incredibly special is, is people like you and you know the and, and, and you know that they in, in discussion. You know, we mentioned Jeff Sauer, and, and there were other college hockey coaches that came by to shoot the breeze with us. You know, it was it was always it, it, and still it is in a lot of ways. It is that way. It's just that that's that's the game. And that's what makes it special and fun. You know, we get to cover it, but they're friends with us. It's just, it's hard to fathom, you know, a 
similar thing happening with the men's basketball frozen four with, you know, the Wisconsin head coach doing shots with the staff. <laughs> yeah, I can't see Jim Beheim hanging out with the media. <laughs> I don't see that happening either, no. No, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a, an interesting evening for sure. I mean, it would be interesting, I guess, but uh, uh, that's what makes, uh, you know, I, I have another story where, um, Wayne Dean, you know, the great guy from from Yale, mm-hmm. uh, and, and he, uh, one year Clarkson played out in Wisconsin in the uh, Badger Showdown, and Yale was out there. And a friend of mine from college, I went to College University of Missouri, came up to watch the games, and spent the weekend with me, and we, after, after the tournament, had just some dinner and drinks with, uh, with Mr. Dean and the Clarkson staff and Yale staff, so... Fast forward to NCAA tournament time, and Wayne was the head of the committee that year. So my friend Dave is watching this this Washington show on ESPN, and he calls me. He goes, "Weren't we having drinks with that guy?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, "He was the head of the committee." And I said, "Oh yeah." He goes, "I just don't see that happen in men's basketball." (laughs) And we we really didn't have the kind of night. You and I had discussed it with Mr. Dean. It was just general. We'd have a beer and dinner and watch a football game, whatever it was, after the hockey tournament. But, yeah. You know, that, that, that's the point I'm trying to make is what a what, what a wonderful community uh, college hockey is. Those were great times, Bob, and it was a lot of fun hanging with you all those years. And, uh, I mean, obviously great memories. And maybe we should do this every year. We'll, we'll do it like you, UBJ Thomas to my David Letterman. <laughs> that's fine with me. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I, I, I do miss seeing you on the road. You know, I get usually get to the RPA Union trip. I don't make every trip the way I used to. But, yeah. um, but, but getting to Albany is special. And, you, you know, uh, I'll put a plug in for our uh, uh, the, the little pub on Wolf Road, JT Maxis. And so many uh, teams have a story of going there, you know. <laughs> Yeah, there are probably some good stories there. I, 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 never, I, I never made it out there, but uh, I mean, I, there has to be some good stories out there as well. Well, Bob, I appreciate a few minutes going down memory lane here on the, the 20th anniversary of the $18.50 bar bill. And uh, let's, let's do this again next year. Hopefully it'll be a Frozen Four to uh, enhance this with. That'd be nice. Yeah, I, I do feel bad. Uh, you know, I, I know our, our league and you and I are partial to, to the ECAC, but uh, you know, especially the, uh, especially Cornell and Clarkson, you know, really had good. And we'll all say, you know, if you had to pick one of those two, probably Cornell over Clarkson. Although I think Clarkson was very close. You know, Cornell had a legit shot to win this whole thing. Yeah, they kind of kind of feel bad for them to make to make a run. I don't know if they were very strong. That would, been, fact, uh, yeah, it would have been the 50th uh, anniversary, too, since they uh, won this 1970 title, that undefeated team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, maybe Clarkson that year in the final, which yeah. would have been interesting. But uh, like I, I told people that the game up here <clears throat> in November that, that Cornell won 4-2 mm-hmm. was easily one of the best hockey games I've ever seen. It was just a fabulous game in every way. In every way possible, you can have a great hockey team. You know, and it could have been that could have been a four-two win for Clarkson. It could have been a two-two tie. 
whatever that result ended up would have been the right result. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. a great game. Clean, you know, the guys hit. Uh, one of our one of our former captains from the class of 62 was at that game, and we had a little gathering afterward. They said, uh, do you miss playing? He goes, oh, yeah, I miss playing. But he says, I'm not going to miss with those poor sons of bitches you're going to feel tomorrow. <laughs> So, but, uh, but anyway, yeah. it, 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 it's great. It's too bad that uh, yeah, there's a lot of teams into that too. I mean, not just Cornell and Clarkson. You know, there's a lot of teams that had a, a good chance this year. And you know, I feel bad for RPI not getting a host. You know, they haven't been in that spot in a long time. It would have been great to program to host and, and and probably get to Lake Placid. You know, it would have been a great atmosphere if you had RPI, Clarkson, Cornell up there. Yeah, these would be a big crowd. Yeah, RPI hasn't been to the Final Four since the uh, 2002 uh, tournament when it was first up in Lake Placid, and that was also the year of my little heart episode. I remember that. First up in C on the way home. Yeah, I appreciate that always. It was good, nice of you to do that. <laughs> I was stupid enough to stay up and watch the, the, the overtime game we, at, uh, that Harvard played that night against, uh, I think it was Cornell, yeah, in the hospital room. Yeah, yeah, well. Well, we're glad you survived it. We're glad you're well. Yeah, that's why I think that's the reason why they left Lake Placid because I had my heart episode. They didn't want me having that up there again. It was a long climb up those stairs. Yeah, <laughs> or, climb, or climbing up the uh, the hill at the hotel at the top of the hill there. So, Bobby, it's appreciate you coming. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, good. You know, stay safe up there in uh, Potsdam, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Kenny. Have a good one. You too. That's Bob Alfell. Back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. Hi, this is Ken Schott, Associate Sports Editor of the Daily Gazette and host of the Parting Shots podcast. The coronavirus has affected many American lives. To help prevent the spread of the coronavirus, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have the following tips. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue, then throw the tissue in the trash. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects and surfaces. Stay home when you are sick, except to get medical care. And finally, wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. For more information, go to www.cdc.gov COVID-19. Follow the Daily Gazette's continuing coverage of the coronavirus online at dailygazette.com and in the print edition. Back to wrap up the podcast, keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Dave Starman, Will Brown, and Bob Offell for coming on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. 
If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and stay safe.